Gospel versus religion, that's what we're going to continue through. But I first want to say all glory, all honor, all praise be to God on this 8th anniversary worship service of Christ Central Southern California. It is tremendous joy for me to bring to you God's word week after week. Uh, I'm Harold, one of the pastors, and today I hope God can bring some comfort and some healing power as we look upon suffering. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we are going to project it as well. These four verses from the letter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Let's give our full attention to it. I'll read it for us. Verses 6 through 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. It is very common and natural that when you and I suffer, when people suffer, People tend to give up on God. Depending upon what you suffer or how long you suffer, it's easy to give up on faith in God. But that is not what Peter says here in our passage. In verses 6 and 7, once again, he teaches suffering should not weaken or destroy your faith in God at all. In fact, suffering should strengthen it. Suffering should purify it. Suffering should turn whatever condition or state your faith is right now into something more valuable and beautiful than gold. How? How? Okay, four things. Four things for us this morning. Before suffering. Second, the kinds of suffering. Third, during suffering. And fourth, after suffering. All right, four angles. Is there anything to do before you suffer? Before suffering, the variety of kinds of suffering, during suffering, and after suffering, before. My friends, I'm sorry to tell you, to begin with, it's not a question of if, but when. All right, it's universal, every human being, if you just live long enough. It's not a question of if, but when. When will you suffer? Are you prepared for suffering? Is there anything to do before you suffer? My friend, how do you know that there is not a suffering up ahead that is so grave, so intense, so challenging that it might really rock you to the core? Are you prepared for it? Should you be? How can you be prepared for it? Uh, The ancients used to view suffering and handle suffering as that's just something to be endured. Just, just, just get through it. Grit your teeth. Be stoic. Show that you're a man. 
Just endure it. That's what the ancients used to say. Moderns, today, what do we say about suffering? You need to insulate yourself, protect yourself, avoid all suffering at all costs. Okay, this is not what the Bible says, though, about suffering. Right here, Peter says it's necessary for a little while. Chapter 4, verse 12, actually, the same author says, do not be surprised by fiery trials. That means very intense suffering. And the Bible goes on to teach there are actually reasons you can find to even rejoice somehow in your suffering and take hope in your suffering. And you don't just have to resign yourself to enduring it, barely getting through it, denying it, or surrendering to it. I mean, of course, if you didn't know by now, there is nothing better than the Holy Bible, the Holy Scriptures, to train and condition and prepare you to build up fortitude and the kind of character that you can endure and even rejoice through the fiery trails, uh, trials ahead. But what's most important for us this morning is how exactly does the Bible prepare you? I mean, if you do read it and study it, I mean, that's the most basic, essential discipline you have to have. When you read and study it, how exactly does the Bible prepare you for suffering? And I'm sad to tell you that religious people see and understand and use the Bible differently from Christian people who get converted by the gospel. Same Bible, but completely different understandings and different usages of it. So, for instance, in suffering, in religion, you believe in God to get what you want. If you understand and use the Bible in such a way that you're the end goal, in essence, you're God, and you have a God out there that's basically kind of a servant or a genie to you to serve your own ends, in religion, you only believe in that cosmic power or figure or force out there to achieve your self-goals. And as soon as that God does not deliver, in other words, as soon as you suffer, you give up on God. That's what religious people tend to do. But if you ever get struck by the gospel, if you ever start to understand and apply the gospel through the very same Bible, you come to believe in a God who already gave himself up for you in Jesus Christ. So if and when you suffer gospel people, you do know that God could never ever give you up, and so neither can you ever give up on God. See, religious people believe in God to get what you want. And when you don't get what you want, you better give up on God. That's natural. That's common. But when you come to understand and you get struck by the gospel, you believe that God already gave himself entirely up for you in the person and the work of his own son, Jesus Christ. And because he can never give up on you, neither can you ever give up on God. Giving up on God, actually, giving up faith in God actually doesn't help alleviate suffering at all. Now, you see, religious people and gospel people, religious people and Christian people, two different categories, two different, totally different kinds of people. What you believe about the Bible, however, does not eliminate or protect you from all suffering. 
To become a Christian and to believe in the gospel does not protect you from all suffering to come. But what the gospel does that religion can't is that the gospel changes you in how you suffer and it changes his outcome. But back to just giving up on God. Giving up on faith in God when you suffer. I'm going to suggest to you that actually does not going to help you at all in your suffering. C.S. Lewis, a prolific author, English lit professor. He was once a staunch atheist. And he came to realize, you know the problem of suffering in the world, which is so pronounced and so very real, all the evil and suffering in the world, he came to realize that's actually bigger problems for an atheist than for someone who believes in God. Well, I mean, how so? Here's what he once wrote. Unless we judge this waste and cruelty to be real evils, we cannot condemn the universe for exhibiting them. In a word, unless we allow ultimate reality to be moral, we cannot morally condemn it. Here's what Lewis was saying. To be sure, if you're a believer in God, the problem of evil and suffering challenges whether or not God is all-powerful or all-loving. To be sure, there's tensions there. Love to have discussions with you about so many answers that have been given to this tension. But Lewis is saying, but if you're an atheist, you don't believe in God at all. He says, you can't be even outraged or upset to begin with. If you don't believe that there is a God, if there's a higher transcendent divine law, why do you think you get to call that unjust or wrong? Why do you object to what is natural in the world? And what is natural in the world is this. If you have more money, if you have a louder, meaner voice, if you have military might, if you have power, if you have privileges, whatever you want goes for the rest of society and culture. In the natural world, the strong eat the weak. There is no such thing as just versus unjust. By the way, if there is no God, who gets to say what is right or wrong? If there is no God, why do you get to say what's right or wrong? That's just your privileged position. You see, in other words, my friends, without God, there is no objective morality, period. Without God, C.S. Lewis came to realize, hmm, for believers in God, there is a problem with evil and suffering. But if you don't believe in God at all, it's a bigger problem. As a philosophy professor at Notre Dame by the name of Alvin Plantinga, and he observed, the awareness of absolute evil. All right, can I stop there for a second? I'm sure something's flashed through your brain at this point. The awareness of absolute evil. What is absolute evil to you? Child abuse? Genocide? Inequality, trafficking, human trafficking. Here's what Plantinga goes on to say. If you have an awareness of absolute evil, that's actually a sign that we know God does exist at some level. You see, the problem of evil suffering, which was once a problem against belief in God, is actually a bigger problem for those who do not believe in God. The Holy Scriptures are the main way you get prepared and strengthened and conditioned for the fiery trials ahead. And in the fiery trials ahead, my friend, 
You must believe certain things about God so you don't give up on God. Because if you give up on God, it will not help you in suffering at all. Here's some kinds of suffering. I'll go very quickly here. Look at verse 6. Here's what Peter wrote. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There's a variety of trials. There are all kinds of trials. There are trials and sufferings that come because it's directly related to what you've done. In the Bible, it's the example of Jonah. Jonah ran from God. He disobeyed God. He was not doing what God wanted him to do. So there was all kinds of havoc that erupted in Jonah's life and everyone around him because it was directly related to Jonah's sin or disobedience against God. That is one kind of suffering for sure. It is directly related to what you have done. Now I want to tell you, if you're a Christian believer this morning, thanks be to God, there is no way that God can come back around and condemn you and punish you or penalize you for that sin. Romans 8.1, there is therefore no, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Please, please make no mistake that your suffering as a Christian believer cannot be the direct result of God is penalizing or punishing you for some past sin. But, but, please listen close. If you're a Christian child, a son or, or son or daughter of God, God does come after you to set you free from those sins. God is not coming after you to punish you for your sins, but God will certainly come after you in love to set you free from those sins. And sometimes they're heartbreaking and sometimes they're devastating depending upon the sin. You see, if you have a... If you have a constant impatient superiority complex, like a perfectionism about you, if you have a constant kind of perfectionism about you, you're probably going to suffer burning through relationships. And what the Bible says, the only remedy for that kind of suffering, which is directly related to what you have done, is to humble yourself and repent is to humble yourself and repent. And you might escape and be alleviated from that kind of suffering. There's a second kind of suffering where you just suffer for doing nothing wrong. In fact, you suffer for doing something good. You suffer because you've been falsely accused or misunderstood. You're being sued and it has no grounds. You're being attacked or betrayed or hated for doing good. The example of Apostle Paul who preached and ministered for the sake of Jesus Christ. Oh, how he suffered, not for doing anything wrong, but because the world hates Christ and his followers. I think of Pastor Wang Yi, the former pastor of Early Rain Covenant Church over there in Chengdu, China, who last December was arrested and imprisoned by the government because simply he proclaims Christ. We're coming upon a year now I cannot imagine the kind of suffering he has faced so far. We pray for his strength and his deliverance someday. But Pastor Wang Yi, imprisoned, persecuted, so is his family and all of his church followers. Why? Why? Because they worship and follow Christ. And for that kind of suffering, we have to learn to persevere. The Bible tells us you also have to learn to forgive. You have to forgive. Listen close. If you're persecuted and hated for doing nothing wrong, 
If you're cursed for the sake of Christ, you have to forgive. If you don't forgive, that evil and hatred that has been done to you will pass into you and become a part of you. You want to talk about a whole kind of suffering? The suffering that that person caused to you. It was unjust. It was sinful. It was over the top. But if you're not able to forgive at some point, release it from your heart. It will harden you. It will twist you. It will corrupt you. And it will conform you into the image of the very one who hated on you. There's a suffering that's directly related to what I have done, like Jonah. There's a suffering for doing nothing wrong, like Apostle Paul. Third, there's a suffering that just comes from natural loss. Martha and Mary, they, they were weeping because they lost their brother, Lazarus. They mourned and grieved that loss. And suffering loss in this way is universal, but the reactions vary. Some are numb, some get traumatized, some become really angry. Some start to feel very, very, very alone in what you suffer and how long you suffer it. Oh, some of you feel that some of the mental condition that you struggle with makes you feel so isolated. Some of you in your family, some of the needs that your family has, you feel like nobody could really understand what you're going through. Some other people who've suffered loss and grief get too comfortable with being sad. They just get too comfortable with self-pity and they never think anything is ever going to get better. Some use this suffering to excuse all kinds of addictions. And some people just do all the above. Now I found as your pastor that what may help and heal one person in suffering over here who is grieving does not work for the other person right over here who is grieving over the same thing. But I do know of someone who knows how to minister to everyone perfectly, exactly to your temperament and condition and the way that you would respond best. I do know someone who can do that. It's none other than Jesus. And if you are still grieving and mourning some kind of natural loss... You ought to learn to grieve to Jesus and grieve with his people. There's a kind of suffering in which God comes after me to set Harold free from his sins. It is directly related to what Harold has done. I ought to humble myself and repent. There's another kind of suffering where I've done nothing wrong. I ought to persevere and learn to forgive. Then there is natural decay and loss and death in the world. I need to grieve to Jesus and grieve with his people. A fourth kind of suffering. There is no reason or rhyme to why you suffer. There might be a few of you in this room. Your life seems like a sick joke. You just cannot catch a break. You have no comprehension of why all this stuff is happening to you in every facet of your life. In succession. Can I encourage you, my brother or sister? That's suffering like Job. Job, there was no rhyme or reason. He could not understand what was happening to him. And I have a dear friend from the East Coast who frequently calls me and we pray together. And he asks me, Pastor Harold, as a fellow father, can you just please pray for me that tomorrow morning I can wake up with some new hope? 
Because all I've been praying for year after year after year is, God, will you please stop my son from having these grand mal seizures? Can you please answer my request so that we would stop having brain surgeries for my son? I know others of you in this congregation that I think of and pray for and I love you who tell me, Pastor, there are thoughts that recur on an endless loop in my head and they downright scare me. I seem to feel like I can't control those thoughts. Pastor, will I ever be okay? Will I ever be okay, Pastor? Can you pray for me that there's going to come a day where I'll be set free from these things? Because I'm scared. Because I believe if I just do it one time, those things that I think, it's, it's really dangerous or fatal. And I want to tell you, those who suffer this kind of physical or mental or emotional condition, you suffer long and hard and deep, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. But I do, do know... That what God comes to do, just like Job, is somehow, somehow, he's wanting you to learn to really trust and love God above all else. Those are just some of the kinds of suffering. Well, let's get to what you can do, what you and I can do during suffering. Verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, I love how Apostle Peter likens the miracle of saving faith. If you have saving faith in Jesus Christ, he likens it to something more valuable and precious than gold. It's better than gold. Although it is mixed with impurities for now. Having the miracle of saving faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and to save you from all your sins is more precious than gold, but for now it has a lot of rough edges to it, does it not? See, your faith in mine is uh, mixed with desires for comfort still, just comfort and ease. Please make my life suffering free, and I don't want headaches, I don't want to stress out. Your faith might be mixed in with power and approval and glory for yourself. I don't think there's anybody in this room that doesn't, isn't aware, or hopefully you're at least aware that you are hypocritical in certain areas. That there's still certain areas of your life that you are downright just not acting like Christ. Some of you are too harsh. You overreact when you get hurt. Some of you are too fragile. Some of you lack patience. Some of you lack wisdom and grace in what you say. Some of you lack courage and compassion to really do the right thing, even when it's hard. But then suffering comes along. Do you know what suffering can do in the life of a Christian believer? It's like fire. And it burns away and destroys all the impurity things, all the impure stuff, all the rotten stuff, all the fake stuff, all the pretentious stuff. 
all the baggage stuff that gets in the way of you really becoming like Christ. When suffering comes, it actually just burns away impurities and then strengthens and refines that which turns out to be even more better and more precious than gold. You know, the image of fire here, I believe that Apostle Peter cannot be not thinking about that incident when King Nebuchadnezzar took three Jewish young exiles, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because he had built, I mean, basically it was a huge campaign to construct this enormous statue, and he decreed across all of his land, this is a mighty, mighty true empire under Nebuchadnezzar, he decreed, all shall bow down and worship before the statue. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. They would not compromise their faith. They would not compromise their worship to God. They would not compromise their gospel convictions. And so the penalty was that King Nebuchadnezzar had his soldiers throw these three young Jewish men into a furnace that was heated seven times hotter, that the very soldiers who were throwing them in, they burnt to death. But lo and behold, in Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 to 25, when King Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire, he was astonished and he was rocked to the core. Because here's what he said. But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was a fourth otherworldly radiant figure who looked like he was a son of the gods. Who could that be? You see, my friend, Christianity is the only religion in all the world that tells you and that demonstrated for you. God himself came to walk with you in the fire in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. It's the only religion that even promises and proves that. So the ancient prophet, by the name of Isaiah, in chapter 43, verse 1 and 2, he was prophesying. He didn't know quite how this would be exactly fulfilled, but we know now how God fulfilled his promise. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Do you know what you can do when you're going through the fire? Do you know what you and I can do during your most excruciating suffering? You can find that Jesus meets you there. You can find that Jesus came all the way down to go and meet you there. And during your suffering, there is someone who can so love you who can so talk and speak with you in such a way that really does reach the depths of your heart. When you're going through the fire, there's someone who can counsel and comfort and protect and carry you. And do you know that Jesus wants you to sense, to be, for you to be aware that he is walking with you so that you will not be consumed? 
Anyone who is walking with Jesus, even in the fire, the fire cannot burn you. It will only beautify you. Anyone who finds Jesus will meet you there. No trial can overcome you or ruin you or undo you. No, that trial can only refine you. Because do you not know that when Jesus Christ went through his fiery trial, went through a kind of suffering that you and I will never have to taste, He was abandoned and alone so that you don't have to. When Jesus Christ went right through the fire to save you from your sin, there was nobody with him. Not even his father came to help him so that you will never have to go through the same. And I always liked the lyrics and the music of Stephen Curtis Chapman. But then he lost his daughter, Jerusha, adopted from China. And his other sons are working through, have been working through the guilt and the shame of her death as well. And his sons and himself have been singing and writing these songs. But, you know, I found that Stephen Curtis Chapman now sings songs that are all the more rich and realistic and so tender. I think they're so uplifting. And I know because it comes from a heart that has suffered. In one of these songs I'd like to share with you, in the first verse he wrote, when you think you've hit the bottom and the bottom gives way and you fall into a darkness no words can explain and you don't know how you make it out alive, Jesus will meet you there. The chorus goes, he knows the way to wherever you are. He knows the way to the depths of your heart. He knows the way because he's already been where you're going. Jesus will meet you there. A couple more verses that will not be provided in the slides goes like this. When you failed again and all your second chances have been used and the heavy weight of guilt and shame is crushing down on you and all you have is one last cry for help, Jesus will meet you there. The last verse When you realize the dreams you've had for your child won't come true. When the phone rings in the middle of the night with tragic news. Whatever valley you must walk through, Jesus will meet you there. He will meet you there. He will meet you there. The chorus, he knows the way to wherever you are. He knows the way to the depths of your heart. He knows the way because he's already been where you're going. Jesus will meet you there. Hey, if you're in junior high or high school, your parent, mom, and dad may not really understand what you're going through. If you forget everything else, can you just listen to me at this point? Junior high or high school, there is someone who can understand and meet you there. And some of you don't even have spouses who you you think you can share with or they might understand what you're going through. Even still, Jesus will meet you there. That's what you can do during suffering. Look and find Jesus and meet you there. Here's the last. After all the suffering. The forever after suffering. And I don't think we pay attention to this enough, starting with myself. In verses 3 to 5 of the same chapter, 1 Peter, he wrote this. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's what Peter says. Do you know what's going to really give you some reasons to rejoice? It's this living hope. It's looking at and tasting what happens after the suffering. It's a living hope. It's an orientation or a foretaste of the future that gives dynamic present power. Every Christian is endowed with this. Through the Holy Spirit in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for instance, if someone came along and actually wrote the contract and said, after you work an X amount of years, as long as it's not completely dehumanizing or criminal, you're going to lose your health and life. Just work these X amount of years and at the end, I write in a contract, you're going to get a billion dollars. One billion dollars. I don't know many people who will not keep or complete that job. Now, what is this living hope for Christian people? Peter says it's an inheritance. It's reserved in heaven for you. And I want to tell you, it's not an ethereal, spiritual compensation. It's very real. And it's infinite riches reserved for you. I'm sure you've heard or have friends and we pray for those who are losing homes in the fires right now throughout Southern California. Do you think what God is going to give you in heaven is like fire insurance? It's like house insurance? Oh, you lost your house. Later on in heaven, I'm just going to pay you off with some other form of compensation. Do you think what God gives you is life insurance? Life insurance is a certain amount to your loved ones who remain behind because they lost a life. Do you know in the new heavens and the new earth, God is not going to pay you off with some other form of compensation. God is actually going to restore the very things you lost. You're going to get your body back. You're going to get your life back. You're going to get your house back. You're going to get your family and friends back. And they're all going to be unfading, imperishable, and you can never lose them again. They are going to be perfected And they're going to be infinitely better and richer for you. And all of it will be fully restored. That's our living hope. I mean, at least a couple years through college, right after I lost my dad, who died from an aneurysm, unannounced, unprepared for, I would have these dreams where my dad was alive and I'd be laughing with him, playing baseball with him, going out with him, eating Or just being with him. And those dreams were so vivid and real. In the dreams I could taste the reality of my dad. And I want to tell you Christian friends this morning. That is not a pipe dream for Christians. Your happiest and best dreams are going to come true. Because if Jesus Christ actually rose from death, my dad has risen from death too. 
If Jesus Christ has risen from death, which is what I was talking about with my Lyft driver this morning, of why I became a Christian or a pastor. If Christ has risen from death, my friends, we get our bodies back, and we get all our loved ones back, and whatever you lost or suffered on this side of heaven will be fully restored in them some. You see, for every Christian believer in this room, your better best days are ahead. There is glory that awaits you. It only gets better with time, although you suffer, if necessary, for a little while. For you to long and be nostalgic and all moody and middle-aged about the past like me, actually stunts your faith and robs your joy. Because the living hope that we have before us asks us, look forward to what is ahead more than what you look at of what you lost in the past. Now, that great Russian author Dostoevsky put it in words, I don't even try to put it better than this, Dostoevsky. In the world's finale at the moment of eternal harmony, Something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to, be, to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. Here's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means. The new heavens and the new earth your eternal future is that much better than anything you've suffered or lost on this side. That's our living hope. So in suffering, my friends, can I ask you, please, do not run from God. Do not give up on God. Do not lose your faith in God. Because the gospel tells us to run into the Father's arms instead because He came after you to walk in the fire. He came after you to walk with you in the fire in Jesus Christ, His Son. So Peter sends us off with verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Please press on. Look ahead. Find Jesus in the fire. And the outcome of your faith will be more precious than gold. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for this rich, rich word. And I pray that the gospel would replace religion. And especially for all of my friends here who suffer, have suffered or will suffer. May we be able to find Jesus who meets us there. Lord, if we have you, we can not only make it, we won't be burnt. We'll be beautified. Have us cling to you. Meet us there, O oh Lord Jesus. 
And if there be any friend here who has not yet come to faith in Jesus, to follow Jesus, would you make that happen even right now by the power of your spirit and because of your gospel? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.